Amen. Awesome. Praise God. You can take a seat. You know, I hope you've uh, I hope you've been blessed tonight already by the time and in praise and worship and such great songs that we've had the opportunity to sing together tonight. And uh, we're gonna have a, we're gonna have some fun tonight, and we're gonna head into God's word. Anyone excited about the word of God tonight? We're we're gonna have a great time. And I know Michelle's made some unsavory remarks about my mo. What did you call it? A mustache. What is that? This is a mo. <laughs> No, I was I was having some fun with my sons at home. Like I, I let a pretty gross beard come through. And have any guys here you've ever shaved your beard off in stages, like comical stages? Like first, you know, maybe you shave one half off or like leave a goatee. I, I left the goatee. I was actually toying with leaving that, and I decided not to because I looked super uh, super creepy. Let's face it. And, and not that the mo doesn't look like that, right? But but anyway, if you are if you're new to True North Church, can I just apologise for my face right now? Uh, uh, you know, I don't always do that as I'm beginning a conversation. So, hey, how you going? My name's Phil. Hey, really sorry about my face. <laughs> but you know what? It's not about my face or my upper lip, thank goodness. It's about the Word of God tonight. You know, I've been having a whole bunch of fun over over the last month as we've been focusing uh, on Colossians in the New Testament, really thinking about who Jesus is, being centered on the reality of who Christ is. Anyone else been enjoying that series? Man, it's been it's been awesome. But but today we we've, we've kind of got a unique opportunity that we're in between series. So we finished Colossians last week. Next week, we're going to be starting a brand new series, getting into the book of Daniel. Any Daniel fans here in the Old Testament? Great story. We're going to enjoy getting into that next week. Uh, but uh, tonight and for this Sunday, John and I, we were we were looking at a passage of Scripture uh, in Second Chronicles, and uh, we're going to preach from that tonight, and I reckon it's going to be a, a blessing for, for you here tonight as well. You know, one of the, the really fun fundamental things about what it means to, to live a life of faith and what it means to, to make a decision to follow Jesus, which I know many of you tonight have done, is that, that really what is fundamental to, this, to the decision of following Jesus is to let go some of the control of our own life and put it in the hands of God. That's essentially what the Christian life is, is saying, Jesus, I recognize and believe that you've got something better for my life than what I can, what I can come up with on my own. And, and really the journey of faith and the experience of following Jesus is about saying, God, what does it look like for me to let go of my life just a little bit more so that I can find something even greater in you? You know, we're going to go to, uh, to Second Chronicles in just a moment. But before we do that, uh, I want to I remind you of one of my favorite Christmases. I say remind you. I want to tell you the story of one of my favorite Christmases. Actually, I will remind you, Josh. You were there. Um, but when I was about 10 years old for, for Christmas one year, uh, I got a Super Nintendo. Anyone familiar with a Super Nintendo? It, incidentally, on a side note, some of the most inspired marketing of all time. So you had the Nintendo, which came out a few years earlier, and then they're like, what do we call this thing? A Super Nintendo. It's like, man, you don't get marketing like that anymore. That was awesome. And all their games were like called Super something. It was awesome. But anyway, we've got this thing called a Super Nintendo. If you don't know what that is, it's like a computer game, video game. You can play games on it. And one of the really cool things about it is you could play two players. So you could play with a friend, against a friend, maybe with a sibling. And you'd have player one and you'd have player two. And while you were playing the game, it didn't make too much difference. But there was one key distinction if you were player one. Now, if you were player one, you got to decide when the game would actually start. 
you got to decide all the settings and the options and stuff. So you got to decide when the game would start, how the game would be played, where player two is just kind of watching it all happen. And they're like, oh, it sucks being player two. And then you get to start playing. But when you were player one, you were, like, you were large and in charge. You were calling all the shots. You were completely in control. And so you could imagine that as 10-year-olds, and I'm sure this was happening in households all over the world when this thing came out, there'd be an argument amongst brothers, amongst friends, about who got to be player one. Who got to be in control? Who got to be the big shot? And, you know, it hasn't changed. And that's an inspired comment, Gavin. Because really, all of us, we can think to moments in our life where this is the exact reality, where we're in a position, in a situation where, where we can either be in control or not be in control. And probably the reality is most of us are drawn to being in situations where we have the control in our hands. And when we lose that control, it's not something that in general we enjoy. But I want to take you tonight to Second Chronicles to an awesome, one of my favorite guys in the Old Testament. And it's a guy called King. He's the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat. And we're going we're gonna to touch base on his story in Second Chronicles. So, so I want to encourage you, if you've got your Bibles here, anyone bring your Bible along. It can be in an e-format, it can be paper, whatever. But open up your Bible. Also, it's going to be on the screens. And I want to take you to the, the start of this story, the position that King Jehoshaphat finds himself in and how he's able able in this moment of crisis to give control of his life and over and give it over to God. It's a cool story. So we're going to begin in verse 1. We ready? What was that? Is that like someone's Bible started reading? Thank, thank you, Pastor John. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to go to verse 1. Let me, let me read it. After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, with some of the Meonites, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Uh-oh. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is Engadai. You know one of the really cool things about the Old Testament when you're reading through stories like this? It's like every second place sounds like a planet in Star Wars. Is that... <laughs> That, that's fair, right? It's like, and they came from Dagobah, just east of Tatooine, and they showed up. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek, somebody say seek, to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek, somebody say it again, to seek him. So here's the situation that King Jehoshaphat finds himself in. Three nations have allied together to take all of Judah out. It's a massive army. He hears about it. He's alarmed. He's shocked. Oh, my goodness. He's freaked out. But then he has a near instantaneous response. It's like a, a knee-jerk reaction to the crisis that he's experiencing. And what is his response? To seek the Lord. He says, I'm in this moment of crisis. My response to this is to seek God, is to chase after God, is to pursue God. You know, what's really interesting, if you spend some time in, in First and Second Chronicles and you see the, the journey and the experience of all these different kings in history in Israel and Judah, that, that really when there's a battle like this, when an army stands against another nation, a king like Jehoshaphat has got a couple of options. The first option is he says, you know what? I'm a powerful king. I'm a good king. I've got a great army. I've got a strong nation. We're going to rise up against this army that's attacking us, and we're going to defeat it through our strength. That's one thing that the king could do. Sure, this is a big army. This is going to be tough. 
but I'm tougher. I'm going to get this done. I can do this. That's one response that you might see from a king. Another response is, is that a king might see a threat like that and think far out, this is too much. And they use their intellect, they use their wisdom and say, we cannot possibly defeat this army. And then they'd start to think about, maybe I can negotiate a surrender. Maybe I can negotiate a a treaty. Or maybe we just have to run away. They're coming to destroy our city. We've just got to get out of here. We can't possibly defeat the threat that's coming our way. Now, both of those responses, the king is still completely in control. Even though one's kind of a little bit more positive, we can do this, we can stand against this, I can use my strength, the things that I'm in control of, and I can face this crisis. The king's in control of that option. Or the king says, you know, this is too much, I'm out of here, this is too hard. And the king's in control of that, even though it's running away. But then there's a third option, and this is what Jehoshaphat does. He says, this is a crisis, this is, this is just so hard. God, I need you. I need you. I want to seek you. And he rallies all of Judah to seek the presence of God. And what he's actually doing by saying that is saying, God, it's not about what I can do in my strength, but it's about who you are. God, you're in control of this situation. I'm putting this whole situation into your hands. And as a nation, they seek him together. You know, has anyone played hide and seek before? Probably most of us, right? If you haven't played hide and seek, you probably had, let's just call it what it is, probably a deprived childhood in some way or another. But hide and seek, and I'll just break down the concept for you. Now, most of you, you're going to be right on top of this. But, but in the game of hide and seek, actually, I was, I was workshopping this with my son this afternoon. It was pretty funny. He was terrible at it. He's like two. But anyway, so you have, you have a seeker, and the job of the seeker at the start of the game is to kind of close their eyes, count, give people a chance to hide. And then the seeker, has to, let's say you're playing at your house, they have to go through all the different rooms, looking in all the different cupboards, maybe behind doors, maybe in the bathroom, whatever it might be, to find all the hiders who they've gone and they've hidden in some different places. Now, when you're the seeker, you got to be smart, right? Some of you remember being the seeker. You got to be. You got to think about the people that are hiding. You got to think, okay. I'm playing hide-and-seek with Riley. He's a pretty good climber. I reckon he might have climbed somewhere high. And you think about the people that you're, you're trying to find. You think maybe someone's small. They could get in that tiny cupboard in the kitchen. Maybe they're in there. And the thing is, if you're going to be a good seeker, you've got to be fully amongst it, right? You've got to get out there. You've got to be looking. You've got to be going from room to room. But who knows? Oldest trick in the book. When you're playing hide-and-seek and you're the seeker and you don't really want to play anymore, you just kind of go, yeah, 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 I'm looking for you. And then you like, open a book. <laughs> turn on the TV, watch some Netflix while this is going down. And then eventually someone comes back really knowing, you're not even looking. Sure I am. I'm looking. I'm just making sure, you know, you're not in this region right here with the TV. <laughs> but here's the thing. Once you're a seeker and you stop seeking, you're, you're no longer active in looking for the other people. It's not just that you're bad at the game. It's, not, it's that you're not playing the game anymore. You're not even there. You know, what I love about this this idea that, that King Jehoshaphat brings to the table about seeking God's presence is that it is an incredibly active thing. It's not just a statement to say, yeah, I'm seeking the presence of God. It's something that day in and day out requires motion, requires movement in who we are. What does King Jehoshaphat do? He says, we've got to fast. We're going to sacrifice food to take the focus of ourselves and put it on God and seek His presence. It was an active seeking. 
You know, if we're going to begin to to just journey in this idea of giving more control of our lives over to God, I really believe it, it begins in this space of seeking His presence. And no matter what you're facing, saying, God, I need you in this. Now, here's the thing. You can learn a great deal about yourself, about what you seek, because the things that you're seeking after will tell you where you're headed, right? So if you're seeking after the presence of God and the things of God, you're actually taking the focus off yourself. And when you take the focus off yourself, what you're actually doing is giving control to God. Because no longer it's about me anymore, but Jesus is about you. I'm seeking you. And so all of Judah under King Jehoshaphat, awesome name, by the way. I didn't say that earlier. Anyone else like that name? Great name. Come on. They gather to seek, to seek him. Let's, uh, let's keep going. Actually, can I, can I share something real quick? I was kind of wrestling whether to share. It's nothing inappropriate. You know, sometimes when I say that, it's like, should I say that? <laughs> no, I, I just want to encourage you with something real quick. Like next, week, uh, uh, next week's Father's Day. Right? Are there any dads here tonight? Some dads. Come on, dads. Be, be brave. Thanks, dads. You're not a dad. Maybe soon. <laughs> He's, Riley's getting married soon, yeah. So a year or so, something like that. No, not really. Um, but, but here's the thing. I, I look at this picture of King Jehoshaphat, right? And I see a guy, and, and you think about him in this moment of crisis. There would have been people looking at him from within Judah that would be saying things like, King Jehoshaphat, you've got to be doing this for us. There's this threat out here. You've got to be protecting us. You've got to be providing for us. You've got to make sure that we're okay. Now, I was thinking about this as a dad and even, even as a man, and sometimes the things that get wired into our brains is that the most important thing for us as husbands or fathers is to be a person like that, that just provides, that protects, that fixes stuff that's broken. I'm just talking about sinks. That's there that brings security. And we think that sometimes that's the very best thing that we can bring to our families. But, you know, I look at Jehoshaphat here, and I just felt God just drop this into my heart this week, is that, is that when, when, you're, when you're thinking about what's the very best thing that I can bring to my family as a dad, you know what it is? It's seeking the presence of God. It's seeking the presence of God. It's saying, Jesus, uh, the best thing that I can do for my family is pursue your presence. You know, I was so challenged by that as a guy just, just this week reading through this scripture. And can I tell you, for all the, the young single men here tonight, any single, single men here? There's a couple there on the front row. That can I tell you, when you start to think about, you know, the very best thing that the right girl for your future is looking for? is a guy that's pursuing the presence of Jesus. It's true. It's true that the right girl for your future, that's going to be something that's really important to her. It's not what you do, probably a bit like what you like, but pursuing the presence of God. It's a powerful thing. Sorry, I've got to push pause. We're going to head back. We're going to head back to the Scripture. you want to hear what happens next? Verse 5, it's getting exciting. You're going to like this next part, Michelle. So they're seeking the presence of God. And then Jehoshaphat, everyone in Judah is gathered in front of the temple. And he's going to begin to pray on behalf of the nation. And in verse 5, it sets it up like this. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord, in the front of the new courtyard, and said, and just try to get a sense for this picture right here. Like, he's not mic'd up. This is like 3,000 years ago. He's booming this prayer out in front of a a whole bunch of people as they fast, as they seek after the presence of God. And if you're someone that likes highlighting Scripture, you've got to highlight this prayer. This This is amazing. 
And he says in verse 6, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Ah, God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it, have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, whatever it might be, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and God, you will save us. That's a prayer of faith, right? That what, that what Jehoshaphat is declaring, it, there's, a, there's a power to it. But at the same time, you know what this prayer illustrates? It makes a statement, and as you read into it, you can see how Jehoshaphat is surrendered to God. Now, something you've got to know about King Jehoshaphat, because sometimes we hear this word surrender, and we think, you know, surrender is something you do when you're giving up. Surrender is an action of weakness. But when you look at who Jehoshaphat was, he was the kind of guy that didn't back down from a fight. You know, when he first became the king of Judah, the nation was pretty messed up. They were supposed to be God's people, to be God's blessing in the world, yet they'd turn to, to the worship of Baals and idols and all kinds of, of messed up rubbish. And Jehoshaphat becomes king, and he gets rid of all of it straight away. He says, no, we will follow God. We'll follow the God of our ancestors. He contests it. He doesn't, he doesn't just become king and tolerate everything that wasn't right around him. But he says, no, we need to follow God. Then the very next chapter, he goes, he goes into a battle with, with Israel, the allies from the north. And as they go into battle, the king of Israel, right, he goes into battle pretending he's just like another soldier. Because the thing was, in battles at this period of history, if you could defeat the enemy's king, that was like a victory. So the king of Israel, he goes into the battle pretending that he's just another soldier so he won't get targeted. Then King Jehoshaphat of Judah, so they're in this battle together as allies, he rides in on the royal chariot with his colors shown so everybody knows where the king of Judah is. He's that kind of a leader. He's courageous. My eyeball's stinging. <laughs> I... <laughs> I do, yeah, I don't know. Let's just, I was trying to power through it, but I'm like, I'm rubbing this too much. I've got to make a comment. But I'll try to ignore it. Do you like have like a, a bath thing that we can, we'll do that after. There's no way we'll be able to recover from that. But, but he goes in and he's saying, this is who I am, I'm the king. And there's this courage about who he is. And what I love about King Jehoshaphat is there seems to be this air about him that he doesn't surrender to anything. Even this army that comes in, in this story that we're looking at, he doesn't surrender. And it seems like he surrenders to nothing but God himself. And as this story plays out, we're going to see that, uh, that unfold more and more. But there's something about this prayer which I think captures how we might surrender our lives to God. You know, I want to take you back to verse 6 real quickly. It's going to be highlighted on the screen. And it says this, and one of the reasons why I believe Jehoshaphat was able, a guy that doesn't back down from anything, the way he was able to surrender control to God was first because he knew who he was. Let's look at this scripture again. Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations, not just these three nations that are attacking us. You're the king of all kings. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. 
This is who he knew God was. And because he knew who God was, he was able to turn to God. He was able to seek him and say, God, you are in control. You are ahead of all things. And when we start to get that kind of understanding about who God is, all of a sudden, it doesn't feel like weakness anymore to surrender the control of our life to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But it wasn't just knowing who God was. It was actually knowing what He had done. Let's go to verse 7. Again, it's going to be uh, highlighted. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Jehoshaphat's talking about the promise that was given generations earlier to Abraham, to Father Abraham, that he would be a great nation, that they would inhabit a promised land. And what Jehoshaphat is basically doing is singing the song that we just sang earlier tonight and saying, your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. You brought us into this land, God, and your promise still stands. He knew who God was. He knew what God had done on his behalf. And so he was able to surrender control to him fully. You know, when you think about what Jehoshaphat's doing in this moment and the prayer that he's praying, it's actually incredibly similar to the process that we go through when we give our lives to Jesus, isn't it? That process of coming to faith and putting our faith in Christ begins first with knowing, knowing who God is, knowing who Jesus is, knowing that God, God really is there, that God is alive, that Jesus is real. But it's more than just knowing God, isn't it? It's knowing what He's done. It's saying, Jesus, I know that you are God, and I know that you went to the cross, that you died for me, so I could have fullness of life in relationship with you. And when those two things come together, when we know who God is, and we know what He's done on our behalf, we then eventually come to that point where we say, Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. That's why we say that when we go through the waters of baptism. Do you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? You know what that is all about? It's saying, God, I give you control of my life. And we do that when we know who he is and what he's done. And Jeth, uh, not Jethro, he's someone else. <laughs> Je- Jehoshaphat, he prays this prayer and he surrenders control over to God because he knows these two truths about who he is. So how's this all going to play out? Jehoshaphat, he's seeking the presence of God. He's leading all the people to seek him. He prays this amazing prayer of surrender. And then finally in verse 15, jumping ahead a little bit, the the voice of God responds. And it comes through a prophet called Jehaziel. In this time in history, basically what would happen, you'd have a king like Jehoshaphat, and he'd kind of seek God. And when the king began to seek God, the prophet would then speak God's word to the king, and you see this throughout First and Second Chronicles. It's a cool, uh, a cool kind of dynamic. But anyway, and the voice of the prophet says this in verse 15: Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you: Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. How cool is that verse? Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge of the desert of Jerul. Again, Star Wars, right? You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. 
Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Now, this is, this is a cool moment, but, but I really want us to think a little deeper about what God actually says here, about what God actually communicates, because half of it is really, really encouraging, saying there's this vast army here. God, I don't know what to do, but I've sought your presence, and now you're speaking, and he says, go down. The battle's not yours. The battle's mine. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see my deliverance. So on one hand, it's an incredibly encouraging promise that King Jehoshaphat, I'm going to win this battle on your behalf. You don't even have to worry about it. You just need to march down there and I'm going to get it done. Now, here's the thing that's difficult for me. God gives zero details as to how that's going to happen, right? He's like, yeah, I'm going to provide. You're not going to have to fight this battle at all. I'm going to get it done. Now, if I was King Jehoshaphat, I'm going to march my entire army down to this valley and face this giant force. My oh, God, would, would you mind telling me how you're going to do this? How this is going to happen? What this is going to look like? But he doesn't get any of that. He just gets a promise that God will provide. Now, this is what takes us to the, the crucial conversation around giving control over to God, and it's trust. It's trust. That Jehoshaphat was able to trust in the provision of God, even though he had no idea what God was actually going to do. He had no idea what he was going to do. But he said, God, I believe in your word. We're going to march down there. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what you've got planned. But we trust that you will provide. We trust that you will provide. You know, a little bit earlier in the week, we had a, we had a power outage in Karamah, where we live. And, and it was about at, like, just after 6 o'clock. And when you're a parent with little kids, any parents with kids here, you know what I'm talking about. You had a power outage at that kind of whirlwind time between dinner, bath, bedtime. It's like, it, it's intimidating. You're like, oh, it, the lights went out, and I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be hard work. And, and, like, we haven't experienced a power outage like this for, for ages. We maybe had one during the day or something like that. But actually, at nighttime, when you actually need the lights, trying to find pajamas and get kids bathed and all that kind of thing, and just boom, the lights are gone. And I thought, oh, Flip, we haven't, we haven't really done this. We don't have, like, candles or anything like that. And, and then I remembered I had this one little torch that I've had for about 20 years. It's like this tiny little mag light. But I had this cool little feature that you could unscrew the top of the torch, and it kind of turned it into this electric candle mode. And then the idea was that you'd have it in your little tent, and it'd kind of light up the tent a little bit nicer. And, uh, and I found this little torch, which was a miracle in itself, and, and even more so the batteries were in it, and I got it out, and I was like, oh, man, this is a lifesaver. This is so good. Now, I've got a two-and-a-half-year-old two son, and, of course, it's dark, right? And he sees me come out with this light, so it immediately captures his attention, and he comes running up. He's like, Caleb, hold it. That's my son's name. He's like, Caleb, hold it. And I was looking at him, and I was looking at this light and thinking about the next hour of my life, and I thought, oh, I better not let you hold this. Because it's like the top of it, it's like this really fragile glass bulb. And I'm thinking if you knock this, if you drop it, we've got like no light for the rest of the night. I'm not going to be able to find your pajamas. It's going to be horrible. So I thought, isn't it funny you get to a certain point in life and like the hardest thing of your day is finding your kids' pajamas? <laughs> Welcome to my world, people. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> but anyway, I got, I, got this, I got the torch out. And he's like, Caleb, hold it. And I'm like, buddy, there's been a power outage, which I later realized he has no idea what that means. <laughs> Uh, 
all the lights are off. He's like, oh, okay. The, the lights are off. This is the only light in the whole house. This is a special light. We, we need this so we can find Lukey's pajamas. That's his little brother. We need this so we can get ready for bed. It's a special light. So, so daddy's going to hold it. And, uh, and he didn't like that idea so much. Uh, and so he, he started getting a little bit more vocal. Now, Caleb hold the special light. I was like, shouldn't have called it special light. It's making it worse. And, and then this was going on for a little while. And I just got to a point. I thought, you know what? Maybe you can handle this. Maybe you can handle this. So I kind of, I kneeled down with this, and I'm literally holding it with two hands just like this. And I, and I knelt down, and I said, buddy, this is, a, this is a really special light. It's weird that I'm doing this to you, Jackson. <laughs> so it's a really special light. It's the only light in the whole house. You've got to make sure that you're so careful you don't run, and you've got to look after this light. Okay. He's like, yep, special light. <laughs> special light. And, and I gave him this little torch. And it actually worked out awesome. It was like kind of having this automatic lamp that just kind of followed me around as I was, <laughs> as I was doing things. It was great. It was great. And, and what happened over the next 45 minutes is that I just had this incredible moment with my little son. And, and I don't know exactly how their minds work when they're that old, but, but I got a sense that he understood that his dad was trusting him with this special light. And he was so careful. I have never seen him walk around like this ever. He's like carefully holding, holding this thing, walking really slowly like, yep, I've got this covered. And, and I got this sense that, that maybe just maybe he knew that I was trusting that he would take care of this special light. And it created this moment for me and my son, which I, I'm going to treasure for that for a long time. Like I forget a lot of stuff. Maybe I won't remember it forever. But I feel like, I feel like I'm going to remember that moment for a long time. But here's the thing. Right at the start of that night, when I was really worried about what that night was going to be like, I could have said, no, nah, you know what, this... And it's exactly the same with our connection with God. That when we live our lives trusting in who God is, we actually experience a fuller sense of who God is. And if we don't trust God, we miss out on so much of the blessings that He has for us in our life. And I think about Jehoshaphat, and I think about his response to, to the Word of God. And, and, and really what's, what's awesome is that, that the next morning, as Jehoshaphat, through the prophet, he hears this whole thing, you're going to march down into the valley tomorrow, and you're going to experience the deliverance of God. So the very next morning, Jehoshaphat gets up, he gets the army up, and as they march towards that valley, he has people in front of the army singing and praising. They're singing about the love of God that endures forever. And as they're praising, God does something amazing. God actually somehow confuses the enemy that had gathered against them, and those three armies that had formed one, they start fighting each other and destroy each other. And then King Jehoshaphat, still singing these praises to God, gets over the ridge and sees exactly as God has promised that the battle had already been won. That God had won the victory. That it wasn't his battles, it really was God's. And he trusts him and sees his deliverance. Now I can only imagine how that shaped the faith of Jehoshaphat. Experiencing a moment like that where trusting in who God is paid off in such a tangible way. You know, I want to I finish tonight about, about speaking into what it looks like for us to trust in who God is. And I might invite the, the team to, to come back and join us. And we're going to sing another awesome song of worship in a, in a little while. 
And, and I think about us, and, you know, we've spent some time, obviously, tonight thinking about King Jehoshaphat, this context, which is a long time ago, all that kind of stuff. But one of the things that I love is, so here's a king in the line of Judah, that, that if you know and you've read much of the Bible, that, that line of Judah goes from King David, the first king of Israel, that then would go through Judah. And then 900 years later, 900 years after King Jehoshaphat, there's another king that prays another prayer. Jehoshaphat stood outside the temple and he declared that he knew who God was. He declared about his provision and he gave control over to God. Then 900 years later, just around the corner, another king of Judah, Jesus, knelt down in a garden and prayed a similar prayer, giving control over to God. He was praying about the cross. He was praying about the cross, and you might remember the words that he speaks. He says, God, I don't want to do this. God, take this cup away from me. And there's the famous words of Jesus. But God, not my will, but yours. You know what that statement is communicating exactly? God, you are in control, not me. You are in control, not me. Not my will, but yours. And of course, Jesus chooses the cross. Now, here's what I love about this picture. Sometimes we struggle with the idea of giving control over to God. Sometimes we think that there's just something about that that's not good. But one of the things that I treasure and that I remember is that the Creator God, the King of all kings, Jehoshaphat describes him as the one with power and might in his hand ahead of every nation. That same God gave up control completely to become a person just like us. But even more than that, he gave up control completely, choosing the cross on behalf of each one of us. And here's what I love about God. God will never take anything from any one of us. He'll never take control from us. But rather, he invites us to trust him and to know what he has already laid down on the behalf of each one of us. You know, when I remember that about who God is, when I remember that about who Jesus is, I'm prepared to step a little further into this and say, God, I actually trust you. God, I want to know you even more so that I might trust you even more. God, I want to seek you even more in my life. God, I want to surrender more of my life to you because I know I can trust in your name. Yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to pray, for, pray for us tonight. Can we, can we stand together? And even as you stand, can could, could I just invite you just for a moment, just to close your eyes. You know, this, this whole scripture tonight begins with this idea of seeking God. And this whole scripture tonight begins with this heart to seek the presence of God. And I just encourage you even now to take a moment just to quiet your soul and just to begin to seek His presence. Say, God, I want to know you in my life. And you might be here tonight and maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. Maybe you've never thought about who God is, about what He's done. And maybe for you, that next step in trusting Him is to quite literally for the first time to say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. You know, if that's you here tonight, 
I'd love to pray for you. God, I want to thank you that you are our Savior. And Jesus, I pray tonight for any person here that's saying, God, I want to put my faith in you. Jesus, I ask that in this moment you would reveal yourself to them, that they would know your presence, that they would know your grace, that they would get a sense of what you have done on their behalf. And Jesus, even though you maybe don't understand everything about who you are, God, I pray that that you would help them to trust in the name that is above every other name. Praise you, God. You know, just as we remain in this moment of prayer, I'd invite you to just keep your eyes closed. If that's you tonight and, and you made a decision to say, yeah, I want Jesus in my life, can I encourage you maybe after the service to, to come and say, hey, Phil, that was me. I'd love to talk about what that meant. You know, if you want to have a conversation about what that means, please come and say hi after the service. Or you can take a, a next step card, one of the cards on the chair and say, hey, I made a decision to follow Jesus. I want to talk to someone. I want to pray with someone. And I encourage you to take that next step. Or maybe you're here as you're standing and you believe in Jesus. You put your faith in Jesus. But when you begin to reflect more on that, you're asking yourself the question, really, how much is God in control in my life? And maybe you're you're praying a prayer tonight that says, God, I want to trust you more. I want my life to be more about you and less about me. I want to seek you with courage, regardless of the the trials I'm facing. God, I want to trust in the name that is above every other name. I want to turn to you in every moment of crisis. If that's you tonight, I'd love to pray for you as well. God, I pray that you would encourage every soul here tonight. God, that there might be a new depth of relationship between every person here and yourself. God, that there might be a new layer of trust to say, God, come and be a part of my life. Shape my life as I trust in who you are. God, we want to continue to seek you more and more, to know more of your presence, to be shaped more by you. God, we want to continue to bring everything that we are and lay it down on the altar. And God, we want to know your love, your presence more and more. We praise you, God. Amen.